be among those who are united to him as he is united to his Father. So what does that look like then in community? The first place then, in verse 3, we see the attitude of community. Paul first of all says, For by the grace given to me I say these things. Paul never forgot God's grace. Paul knew who he was. Paul was on the other side. Whatever tribe you feel you're a part of, imagine the tribe that is the exact opposite of you as you sit here this morning. Paul was a part of that tribe. Whatever name you would put on that, that's the group Paul was in. Paul hated followers of Jesus Christ. He felt they were blasphemers, deniers of God, and needed to not just be tolerated, but to be eradicated. Paul's life goal and mission was to stop people from naming the name of Christ. He sat by and watched and gleefully approved of Stephen's martyrdom. He had letters from the religious authorities in Jerusalem and was heading up north to Damascus to bring others who named the name of Christ, followers of the way, into, into imprisonment, incarceration, or even death. And that's when Jesus found him. And Jesus called him to also name his name. And Paul always remembered that whenever he traveled around and spoke, wherever that might be, there were people that were listening to him whose relatives he had either put into prison or killed. Paul did not operate as an apostle with the title. He did not operate from a position of power and authority in the sense of, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Read through his letters. I cannot find a place where he pulls out the apostle card. He says, I appeal to you. I beg you, I implore you. But he does not say to the churches, listen, I'm an apostle. I have a position of authority, so listen to me. No, 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 he says, by the grace given to me, I say to you. Grace Baptist Church did not choose its name because it gave us a better listing in the phone book than the word Zion Baptist Church. Grace Baptist Church is so named because it ought to be evidenced here. We ought to always understand the grace that we have received and operate out of that grace. Whatever gift God has given you, he has given it to you by his grace and he's given you the greatest gift, which is salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And that should never be far from our minds. When we start operating because we want power, we start operating out of a position where our ideas and thoughts and opinions and preferences need to reign supreme. We have left off grace. Paul always remembered the grace of God in his life. And so the first attitude that builds community, fosters community, and evidences the community of Jesus Christ is grace. Notice in the second place, humility. I say this to everyone among you. No one is exempt. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is a single word in the original language, and it means hyperthinking. Do not go around as your own hype man or hype woman. Do not go around with your entrance music before you go into the octagon, always playing in your head. Do not go about life thinking mainly about yourself. How does this relate to me? How do I feel about this? 
Can I get credit for this? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. So Paul says right out of the gate, another marker of community, another way to live out Jesus Christ in our lives is humility. This, of course, is one of the great benchmarks of Jesus Christ himself. The one who actually had all authority. And yet, as Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself and became a man, a servant of all, even though he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Notice in the third place, an attitude of community that builds community is our renewed minds. Three times Paul uses the word think. Do not think more highly than he ought to think, but think, he says, with sober judgment. Always evaluating and reevaluating. Always asking ourselves, am I operating as Christ would have me operate? Am I living, thinking, and acting and behaving in a way that brings honor to him or shame to him? Am I evidencing him to those around me, or am I evidencing myself to those around me? It's a constant introspection. It is an outworking of what Paul has said in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. We don't slide into righteousness. We always slide into discontentment, unrighteousness, disobedience, and sin. It takes effort, Holy Spirit-infused effort, to move continually towards righteousness. And so Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is not a one-time reality. This is a continually ongoing reality. Are we constantly asking ourselves the right questions? Is Grace Baptist Church still marked by grace? Are we marked by humility? Are we marked by love? Are we marked by unity? Do people see Jesus Christ here? Where they don't, we need to change. By his grace, for his glory. Notice in the fourth place then, an attitude of community is contentment. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each of us has a gift from God. Those gifts are different on purpose. And we get ourselves twisted when we compare ourselves with others. I like that gift. I want to do that thing when God has called us to do this thing. Comparison, as we have noted throughout this study, kills compassion. How can we see our fellow church member, our fellow family member, as someone with whom we rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep, as we're going to get to in just a few passages, when we do not see them as someone with diverse gifts but are part of our family, but instead see them as competition? Paul says, each of you has given, been given a measure of faith from God Almighty that is from him, part of his grace, and is to be used for his glory. Do not compare, but be content. And then notice, it is God that has assigned it. The fifth attitude of community is an attitude of worship. God is the one that has given these gifts 
God is the one that has empowered us to serve him in the way that he has empowered us to do so. So he is the one that should receive all the glory of praise. We don't live life for the glory of others, or we shouldn't. We should not live for the glory of ourselves, and we should not live then for the praise of others. But we should do everything that we do for God's glory and his alone. And so the fifth attitude of community is an attitude of worship. Notice then in verses 4 and 5 the reality of community. Paul now shifts gears to an, uh, an analogy that he has used previous, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, an extended chapter, where he talks about the family of God, the church, as a body. And he does that in verses 4 and 5. And there are at least three things that come out of these two verses. First of all, the reality of community is that it is diverse. Notice verse 4. In one body, he says, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. In the extended analogy of 1 Corinthians 12, he actually goes to some body parts, noses and ears and feet and hands. Our body is made up of many different parts. They are one body. They work together. But they're very diverse. They're very different. And they're not in competition with one another. The nose doesn't look down at the feet and say, man, I wish I was the feet. I could carry this body around everywhere. Instead, I'm stuck on the front of this stupid-looking face, and i got to smell things, especially the feet. The ear doesn't say, man, I wish I was the hands. They get to do everything, learn new things. I just am stuck on the side of this face, and all I get to do is hear everything, most of which I don't want to. Paul says that's the wrong way of thinking. The body doesn't operate that way. The body is a diverse collection of parts that is together in unity. And it is the same with the family of God, with the body of Christ. Diversity is not a mistake. Diversity is not against God's plan. Diversity is a part of God's plan. And not the diversity that we normally think of, unfortunately, in our highly charged society in which we live here in the West. It's not a shallow diversity. It's an actual diversity of thoughts and opinions and ideas and perspectives. You cannot actually have diversity unless you have diversity of thoughts and opinions and perspectives and ideas. And yet all of those differences are part of God's design. Any of you here this morning that are married can understand that. There is diversity even in two people. And that diversity is not intended by God for a lifelong uh, exercise in frustration and competition. That is intended by God as a gift for our blessing. So that we see things from a different perspective. A perspective we would not otherwise have. It is a beautiful thing. Not an ugly thing. But it can become ugly when we try to flatten out diversity, deny diversity or try to squelch diversity and get everybody on the same page. Bear in mind that in John 17, when Jesus says we should be united, he did not say that his disciples were to be uniform or unanimous. You could not get a more diverse group of guys. You had in that group someone that was going to betray Jesus and 11 guys that wanted to follow him against Rome. You had a guy whose idea of how to deal with Rome was to carry a dagger and stab Roman soldiers any chance he got. And then you got another guy in the same group who collected taxes for Rome. 
You don't get a more diverse group than that group of guys. They weren't uniform, and they weren't unanimous, but they were united. That is what Jesus Christ calls us to, which is the next uh, section of verse 5a. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. There is to be unity in diversity. That is a work of God, a work that only he can do. And what a beautiful thing it is when we see that in practice. Yes, we are made up of diverse parts, all with different gifts, different things that God has enabled us and empowered us to do. And when we work all together, what a powerful thing that is. Another analogy might be an orchestra. Many different in instruments, some as diverse as a little tiny piccolo, all the way to a massive double bass. All of these instruments, but when they're all playing together on the same, from the same sheet music, di unity and diversity is a beautiful thing, a transformative thing in many ways. And that is what God has called us to. And then lastly, notice the idea of mutuality. What does he say? Not only one body in Christ, but individually, members one of another. And he's going to pick up on this and, and again expand on this when he talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Whatever happens to another family member from Grace Baptist Church ought to impact us. We were not intended to live apart from community. We were intended to live in community. And their gifts are for our benefit and our gifts are for their benefit. What a beautiful thing that is when we see that working together. So we have the attitudes of community, the reality of community, and now notice in verses 6 through 8 the benefit of community. In the first place, we have a diversity of spiritual gifts. Notice what Paul says in the first part of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. By God's grace, we have different gifts. This is not intended to foster a spirit of competition and discontentment, but it is intended to be the blessing of the body. There is a, a multitude of gifts. What a beautiful thing when individuals come together and use all of their different gifts for one purpose. Ours is to glorify God, making disciples. Notice in the second place, a multiplicity of mutually beneficial gifts. Notice what he says, let us use them. Some of us have sat on the sidelines. We know what God's gifts are in our lives, or even if we don't, we haven't even tried to figure it out. We're quite content to be on the bench. Let the other players, the star players play, we'll just ride the bench. May I say, there are no bench warmers in Christianity. Everyone's in the game. Any individual that sits back and says, I'm not going to actively participate in body life. I'm not going to actively use my gifts. I'm quite content to consume other people's gifts for my benefit. But I'm not going to act actively use my gifts for their benefit does not understand the gospel. Does not understand community. Paul says, each of us has been given a gift that's different from the others, but with the same goal. So use them. Use them for the benefit of the body of Christ and the glory of God. Don't sit back. Jump in. And then as he extrapolates a, a list that is not exhaustive, it's just representative. There's seven things that he talks about here. I see two things that come out of this. First of all, there is God-honoring service. 
In each one of these gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution or generosity, leadership, and mercy, acts of mercy, showing mercy, in each one of them, Paul says they're to be done in such a way that they in themselves evidence the character of God. To be done, not just done, but done the right way. So these gifts are not to be used for our glory, but for God's. They're not to be used for the praise of others, but for the glory of God alone. They're not to be used for us, but to be used for others and for God. If you read through these gifts, every single one of them, Paul says they're to be used, not just used, but used in a way that honors God in the using of them. And then what I find also implied in this text is contented service. Some of us are not serving at all. That's a problem, and it needs to be addressed as quickly as possible. Some of us are serving, but we're not content in our serving. We want to be serving somewhere else, and that maybe has led to us stopping from serving. If I can't serve in this way, if I can't be recognized in this way, if people can't see me serving in this way, well, then I just won't bother serving at all. And notice, in each one of these things, Paul says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Which I see implying two things as mentioned. One, it's for God's glory, which always has benefit for others if it's done the right way. But also it has contentment there. That's your gift. Embrace it. Use it. Be passionate about it. Don't be looking around at the other gifts you wish you had. Thank God for the gift he's given you and use it to the best of your glory. How many people at Grace Baptist Church even know who contributes generously? Not many. Does that stop us from contributing generously? Not if that's the gift God has called us to. Who would even know if we do an act of mercy? Just us and the person to whom we've showed mercy. It's not a flashy gift. It's not a gift that gets a building named after us or gets our picture on a wall anywhere. But Jesus Christ said that if you give a cup of water in my name, you will receive your reward in heaven. It's not about us. It's about him. And so this is the idea then of community. How does the Christian life look? What does it look like lived out? In community with fellow believers, other followers of Jesus Christ. Having the attitude of community marked by grace, humility, renewed minds, contentment, and worship. The reality of community is that it is unity and diversity, which has a mutuality to it, mutually beneficial. And the benefits are that we benefit from each other's gifts, and we learn through that how to honor God and be content in our service to Him. Grace Baptist Church, I thank you. For so many of you that exemplify this and have been an example to me of it. And for those that are struggling with this, I would love to have a conversation with you. Thank God for love and for unity. It is a rare commodity, especially nowadays. And we ought to celebrate it and do whatever we can to maintain it by His grace and for His glory. Let's look to the Lord in prayer then this morning before we observe communion together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day.
this morning that you have made. Your mercies are new every morning, and we thank you for them. Father, we thank you for this passage from the Apostle Paul writing to a church at least as divided as we find ourselves today. Perhaps not specifically Grace Baptist Church, but certainly Christendom and even other churches here on the island believing different things about how things should have and should yet go in the midst of all that is going on. Father, in all of this, may we evidence love, may we evidence community, may we evidence unity. And Father, specifically here at Grace Baptist Church, may we have an attitude of community that does not seek our own glory, but seeks your glory. Father, that is marked by grace and humility, by renewed minds, by contentment, and truly by worship of you. May that be a reality here, Father, as I believe in large measure it is, for your, to your glory. We are grateful to you for how we have seen that here. Father, we want that to continue. It is such a benefit to everyone when we work together, when all of our diversity comes together in unity not for a particular political idea or ideology, not for anything other than the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. Father, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.